Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. How is it going, you spectacular people? I hope that your weekend was restful and enjoyable and you spend some quality time with your family. We had family drive-in night in the yard and my three-year-old fell asleep in less than 30 minutes and I had my entire family over for dinner last night and I got some awesome snuggles with my new nephew, Charlie. And with all of that family time though, I slept on some great deals with PSA and I vow to never let that happen again. So Let me tell you about the two deals that I have for you today. The first is a Vortex Spitfire HD Gen 2 Prism Rifle Scope, regularly $599.99 on sale today for $229.99 as of recording. In addition to that, there is a hell of a deal on a PSA 5.56 M-Lock Rifle Kit with MBUS sights, regularly $799.99 on sale for only $459.99. Slap a stripped lower on there for another 60 bucks. You have yourself a nice rifle. A failed political candidate has been indicted on federal charges, including election interference in connection with a series of drive-by shootings at the homes of state and local lawmakers in Albuquerque, according to a grand jury indictment that was unsealed Wednesday. If you think this story is a joke, you would be wrong. Did you have GOP candidate turned to drive-by gangster on your bingo card? I totally did. I now have the letter O. Um, The indictment filed in U.S. District Court in Albuquerque takes aim at former Republican candidate Solomon Pena and two alleged accomplices with additional conspiracy and weapons-related charges in connection with the shootings in December of 2022 in January of this year, on the homes of four Democratic officials, including the current State House Speaker. Pena targeted several of these public officials because in their official capacity, they certified the election, which he lost. The shootings began December 4th when eight rounds were fired at the home of Bernalillo County Commissioner Adrian Barboa. Barboa said Pena had confronted her at her home shortly after the November election. He said, quote, I want results now. And he was definitely aggressive, Barboa said. She said that in December, she came home from Christmas shopping and found evidence of gunfire. Days later, state rep Javier Martinez's home was targeted on December 11th. More than a dozen rounds were fired at the home of Bernalillo County Commissioner Debbie O'Malley, police said. Martinez became the Democratic State House Speaker in January. Text messages in the indictment show the 40-year-old candidate bristling with outrage as Bernalillo County Commission certified the results of the midterm election and his own overwhelming defeat as a candidate for a seat in the State House of Representatives. Federal authorities say Pena hired others to conduct the shootings and carried out at least one shooting himself. Hours before the first shooting on December 4th of 2022, Pena texted a Republican political ally 
who also lost a bid for state representative to say, quote, we have to act. I'm continuing my study of election rigging. The enemy will eventually break. Amid the shootings, Pena later texted one of several unnamed conspirators in the indictment to say, quote, it is our duty as statesmen and patriots to stop the oligarchs from taking over our country. Elizabeth Hans, a defense attorney for Pena, said her client maintains his innocence. Pena has been held without bail since his January arrest on charges in state district court related to the shootings. Those charges will be dismissed in deference to the federal indictment as Pena is transferred to federal custody. Police have described Pena as the instigator of a politically motivated conspiracy leading to shootings at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. Charges against the three defendants include the use of an automatic weapon. Officials are also investigating the source of some of Pena's campaign contributions. Trujillo and his mother both donated thousands of dollars to the Pena campaign. Those donations represent nearly 40% of the money raised by Pena. I mean, I don't condone any of this. I think it's disgusting and starts us on a journey into something a constitutional republic is not. However, what did anyone expect? Y'all give people participation trophies and think that they're going to grow up understanding how to lose. No, it is always someone else's fault. And then you piss off the wrong person who resorts to violence. And it's no good. In... Oh, oh, okay, I apologize. In true, we're telling you this for your own good fashion. The CFPB, or Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is warning Americans against keeping their money in a payment app. (laughs) I bet they are. Um, Funds held in popular apps like Venmo, PayPal, and Cash App are more susceptible to financial uncertainty because their accounts may not provide federal deposit insurance through the federal department. Oh my gosh, I can't talk. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the National Credit Union Administration, according to a consumer advisory published this week by the Federal Consumer Watchdog. Trust me, your money is just as unsafe in an FDIC bank if the government has a clerical error. Ask me how I know. (laughs) They suggest that if one of those payment apps failed or went bankrupt, consumers could risk losing their money. The federal agency said, noting that the awareness of this kind of deposit insurance had become more important after the failures of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank this year. Popular digital payment apps are increasingly used as substitutes for a traditional bank or credit union account, but lack the same protections to ensure that funds are safe. In order to avoid risking their money, the CFPB said that consumers should move any money that is held in a payment app to a federally insured account. Miranda Margowski, however, a spokesperson for the Financial Technology Association, which represents PayPal and other financial technology companies, said in a statement that the millions of Americans and businesses that use payment app accounts are protected. 
These accounts are safe and transparent with users receiving FDIC insurance on their accounts depending on the products they use. FTA members provide clear and easy to understand terms in all their products and prioritize consumer protection every step of the way. In its report, CFPB outlined the scenarios in which funds transferred through payment apps can be federally insured. For example, Venmo, which is owned by PayPal, money can receive pass-through insurance if it is added by direct deposit, if it's a cash cash a check feature, or by purchasing or receiving cryptocurrency. Money held in Venmo's program banks, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, and Bancorp Bank, Bank may be covered by deposit insurance. A spokesperson for Zelle, which is another payment app, emphasized that the app does not, quote, hold accounts, transfer funds, or settle transactions, adding that all funds that are transferred through its network are through federally insured accounts. Money is typically sent in minutes from one bank to another for enrolled users. Money is never in a third-party application the spokesman said. An Oklahoma mother sued her daughter's school district after her 15-year-old was attacked by a transgender student in the bathroom, who the school claimed to not know was a biological male. Teresa Gooden said her daughter, who is only identified as EG in the the $75,000 lawsuit, received a beatdown from the 17-year-old transgender student in October. It's pretty traumatizing. It wasn't a regular fight. It was a beatdown. The student who was assigned male at birth was legally not allowed to be in the girls' restrooms as Oklahoma law prevents it. The Southern state requires people use the restroom associated with the gender listed on their birth certificate. However, Edmond Public School Superintendent Angela Grunewald said the unidentified student was listed as a female in the school system. In high school, birth certificates are not required to start school, so there was no birth certificate in the student's file at the time to verify one way or another, she said in a video. If a parent comes in and enrolls their child as a certain gender, and when you look at that child by all social norms, they look and present themselves as that gender, it's not something you would question. However, Gooden and her attorney Greg Andrews argues that E.G. informed the school the transgender student had made previous threats against her and that the student was, in fact, a male. In addition, the student had allegedly been searched for weapons by police, according to Fox & Friends. They knew firsthand at that point that there was a chance it was a boy based on what my client's daughter said. The police report indicates they did have a paternity affidavit on file in the student's file that identifies the boy as male. So the school is just lying and they didn't they didn't comply. I can't wait until we get discovery in this because it's clearly going to show they violated the law. The mother, who said her daughter is emotionally traumatized from the attack, said it's not okay. That, a brut- that was a brutal attack on my daughter because they didn't follow guidelines. I expect my daughter to be safe at school, 
Gooden is seeking an amount in excess of $75,000 in damages from the district, as well as payment of her costs. The lawsuit also states that the transgender student confided in her daughter that he was in fact a male student that identified as female. E.G. claims that she informed the assistant principal, Mary Jell Cochran, of the conversation, but court documents claim nothing was done. In addition, the lawsuit states that the alleged attacker, who was born male, was removed from the school by police after threatening the teenage girl with a weapon on October 21st. In a statement, the school said, Because this matter is in litigation, there is little that can be said at this time. However, Edmond Public Schools is confident that when the facts are presented, it will be determined that the district fully complied with the law and acted in a reasonable manner. I think if Loudoun County taught anyone anything, especially schools, you probably shouldn't double down on your ineptitudes. Different kind of assault, but still assault. Is anyone noticing a pattern? You don't hear about trans kids being beaten or raped, but you hear about girls being beaten and raped, usually in the bathroom of a school. Why do the people pushing these policies hate little girls so much? Because I told you so doesn't really feel good in this instance, but I did, just for the record. The OPEC group of oil-producing countries has reached an agreement to extend output cuts into next year. In the face of flagging prices and a looming supply glut, the oil cartel reportedly agreed to reduce its output by 1.4 million barrels a day at a meeting in Vienna on Sunday of member countries, which include the big producers Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Russia. OPEC sources told Reuters that the group was likely to agree to a policy rollover for 2023 and make additional reductions in output in 2024 if new production baselines from which cuts and quotas are calculated for members were agreed. Did you hear that? More cuts in 2024. Saudi Arabia has agreed to make a voluntary reduction of 500,000 barrels a day in its output, although it is not clear when the cuts will begin. OPEC, which groups the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and Allies led by Russia, produces about 40% of the world's crude, meaning its policy decisions can have a significant impact on oil prices, and they know it. Apparently, however, Joe Biden does not. Oil prices surged in April after OPEC announced a surprise cut in production, saying its members would reduce output by a million barrels a day, the equivalent of about 3.7% of global demand. That 1 million figure was on top of existing plans to continue cutting 2 million barrels a day, originally agreed to in November, until the end of 2023. At the same time, Russia announced plans to extend its production cut of 500,000 barrels a day until the end of the year. The concerns about global economic growth and demand... Oh, I apologize. The April announcement helped... Man, this is going to be a great episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear all of the mistakes I made, but I'm not going in editing it. You guys get it raw today. The April announcement helped to drive oil prices about $9 a barrel higher 
to above $87 a barrel, but they swiftly fell back under pressure from concerns about global economic growth and demand. On Friday, the international crude benchmark Brent settled at $76 a barrel. Will this administration see this as a threat to national security? Because that's what it is. That is 100% what this is. The world runs on oil and gas, whether the climate totalitarians think so or not. And if you continue to allow other nations to put us at a disadvantage, you are nothing shy of complicit. If you have been listening to me for any time at all, you will be aware of the fact that I am a big fan of Vivek Ramaswamy in the upcoming Republican primary. This weekend, the qualifications for the GOP debate stage were released, and Ramaswamy already meets the criteria, so I am excited to see him go toe-to-toe with Trump and DeSantis on the debate stage. Ramaswamy was also on ABC's This Week yesterday and said that the threat of Russia taking over Ukraine isn't a top foreign policy priority for his campaign, which is music to my ears. Martha Raddatz at that point nearly had a meltdown and responded by asking, you do not believe that the that Russia taking over Ukraine would be bad for our national interests? That is not what he said. And way to try to like twist his words up. Holy bananas. He responded and said, I do not think that's a top foreign policy priority for us. I don't think it is preferable for Russia to be able to invade a sovereign country that's its neighbor. But I think the job of the United States president is to look after American interests, Ramaswamy said. The candidate said he thinks the top military threat is, instead, the Sino-Russian alliance and argued U.S. aid to Ukraine is pushing Russia toward China. I would end this war in return for pulling Putin out of that treaty with China, Ramaswamy said. What I think we need to do is end the Ukraine war on a peaceful term that, yes, does make major concessions to Russia, including freezing the current lines of control and also permanent commitment not to allow Ukraine to enter NATO, he said. But in return, Russia has to leave its treaty and joint military agreement with China. That better advances American interests. If you are tired of the DeSantis versus Trump doldrum, I highly encourage you to check out some of Vivek's interviews and campaign messaging. He's a really smart dude and has some really great ideas on how to bring America back from its knees, kind of like Kamala Harris before her promotion, except instead of Willie Brown, we've been catering to China for too long. A Philadelphia, Pennsylvania group that fought to have a box removed from covering up a Christopher Columbus statue in a Southside Park has filed a lawsuit against the city's mayor and members of the Historical Commission for threatening to remove the statue. The Friends of Marconi Plaza filed the lawsuit on May 25th in the Court of Common Pleas of Philadelphia County, demanding a jury trial and naming Mayor James Kenney, as well as Robert Thomas, Kimberly Washington, Daniel McCubbery, Emily Cooperman, Jonathan Farnham, Kenneth Woodson, Ralph Pincus, and Stephen Petit. The defendants are accused of voting with malice in several administrative hearings to remove a statue of Christopher Columbus from Marconi Plaza 
and engaging in misconduct by following instructions from Kenny to vote how he wanted them to vote, the lawsuit alleges. Acting through the Philadelphia Historical Commission and the Philadelphia Board of Licenses and Inspection Review, the board, defendants abused and exceeded their legal authority in a malicious conspiracy to deprive plaintiff and the citizens of Philadelphia their civil rights. In 1876, the Italian-American community of Philadelphia donated a statue of Christopher Columbus to the city to celebrate the country's 100-year anniversary. The statue was sculpted in Italy out of marble and funded by numerous groups and individuals, including then-King of Italy, King Victor Emmanuel II. Not only did the statue pay homage to Columbus's discovery of the New World for European nations, but it also was emblematic of the journey of many Italian-Americans who came to the U.S. for a new life. For centuries, Columbus was credited with discovering America, but throughout that course, the European pioneer was found to have treated indigenous people already on the land poorly. Things really came to a head in 2020 when the statue became a symbol of hate to some and to others, it was a symbol of important history. The two groups clashed as those who supported the historical importance protected the statue from vandalism. The clash became violent and people were arrested. As a result, the statue was covered with a box. And out of concern for public safety, Kenny ordered the statue to be removed. Public safety. From an inanimate statue? The suggestion is that people are unsafe from a statue. Although Columbus was celebrated as an explorer for centuries, Kenny said he had a much more infamous history of enslaving and punishing the indigenous people, including several severing limbs and death. Kenny's decision to remove the statue was overturned by a judge who said city officials failed to prove that the statue posed a threat to public safety. Oh, good. Some people still have common sense. Thank goodness for that. In December of 2022, a Commonwealth Court ruling allowed for a wood box painted with green, white, and red stripes to be removed from covering the statue. The judge also allowed for a clear structure to be built around the statue. Someday, these people are going to learn what a genuine threat to public safety looks like. They feel like they're going to regret their reaction to marble statues. That is your everything yesterday, this morning on a Monday. I appreciate you guys joining me. Please go check out those two deals that are in the show description from Palmetto State Armory. Also, if you enjoyed the show and you don't mind taking the time, if you're listening on iTunes, please go leave a review. That helps me appear higher in the list for new shows in the morning. And if you are listening elsewhere or on iTunes too, and you want to share this out, send it to whoever you want to, uh, like, subscribe, make sure you have that bell on for notifications because this comes out at six o'clock in the morning. So you may have missed it if you weren't subscribed. So Thank you so much. You guys take care and have a wonderful Monday.
If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.